Okay, so today we're going to do a Chachamavadi Yosef. Chachamavadi Yosef, one of the uh, most important poskim of the last, uh, I'd say, a hundred years or so. Chachamavadi Yosef was born in Baghdad. He then went to Eretz spent some time in Egypt before coming back to Eretz and he became essentially the uh, the king of Sardic Jewry. There is so much to say about him, and there is not enough time to talk about him. So what I'm going to do, essentially, is quote to you from the eulogy Rabbi Jafter gave Hamavadi Yosef when he passed away, and he did it in the, uh, in the format of Dayenu. Had Hamavadi Yosef only done X, Y, or Z, Dayenu. Had he only done X, Y, or Z, Dayenu. So this is what he said. First of all, just something unique about Hamavadi Yosef is, we all know, recently, Rabbi Yosef died in a massive funeral, hundreds of thousands of Jews. When Rabbi Yosef Shomel Yashiv died, hundreds of thousands of Jews. When Hamavadi Yosef died, not only were there hundreds and hundreds of thousands of Jews, perhaps one of the biggest funerals in history, but it spanned the entire spectrum of Jewry in Israel. At the soccer stadium, they held a moment of silence. That was among the secular Jews. He had this hold on the Israeli public and the secular Sephardi public that was unparalleled. They, just, they revered him despite the fact that he had some very extreme, perhaps, ideas about secularism and non-Orthodox Jews, they revered him in a way that it's just it's unbelievable to watch. They had a certain emunas hachamim, the belief in the, uh, the, the sages. So, so Rabbi Jaktor starts as follows. He said, well, one of the most unique facets of Hamavadi Yosef was he had this unbelievably photographic memory which is unbelievable. He said, if he only had that memory, Dayenu, there was um, a, a certain point where the, uh, in the Vatican, they have many manuscripts of Svarim that over the ages that they essentially collected and they, 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 they assorted, and they weren't letting anyone out. Someone got permission for, for someone to go in and take a look at these manuscripts. They sent Ramavad Yosef in. He read the manuscripts and then came out and by, by memory rewrote the Rashba. So we have it. The um, Reganak told my grandfather that when Rabbi Salavitcher came one trip to Israel many, many years ago, and he gave a shear, and there was a, at a certain point he was reading, I believe it was a ritzvah, and there was a missing page, and some young guy in back just raised his hand and proceeded to tell him over every word for word what the ritzvah said. And that was Kamavad Yosef. He was just, it had this unbelievable memory. In fact, he has many, we'll get to in a minute, he has many, many uh, different shahs and chubas, but one of the shahs uh, and which we actually did in the beginning of this year, I think was Stan Fink asked the question about saying, Tadish, um, for someone who's non-Jewish, we read a chuba from the Chavadat, one of Hamavad Yosef's chubas for him. What that was, is they're very short, they're about a page and a half to two pages each, sometimes about three pages, where he proceeds to re- literally quote a litany of sources. He'll, he'll quote 50, 60, 70 sources in these pages, sometimes there'll be lines and lines of pages quoting these sources. People don't realize this is actually a radio address. He was on the radio, someone would call in, ask a question, and he would proceed to give an answer, and in those chubas of a page and a half, he would quote more Torah than your average rabbi knows nowadays, and he'd just do it all in his head. Now we did another chuba we touched upon when we talked about ascending to Harabayas, going on Temple Mount. This was a chuba he wrote, if you look at the date, it was about five or six days after the reunification of Yerushalayim, after we, we won back the Kotel, oh, excuse me, the Temple Mount and the Kotel. 
And he proceeded to write a tshuva, which is like, it's like 17 pages on the top of it, which means he just had, he had it all in his head. Unbelievable, his memory. So, that, so Rabbi Jack said, it was just for his memory alone, Dayenu. And then he said, just for his koach hapsak, his, 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 as a posek, what he did, Dayenu. He, first of all, he believed in what's called koach tehetera. He says, anyone can be a machmir. It's easy to be stringent. Usser, usser, usser. But he believed in leniency. And that, again, unless you're not Amaret, then you can be lenient on anything because you don't know anything. But he was, uh, he was able to justify leniencies. Um, he wrote again the impact on Yafet Yosef. He has a Sefer Yibi Omer, which is his main source of chubas. I think it's 11 volumes. Those chubas can take days to go through. That's how jam-packed they are. And sometimes he'll have paragraphs just quoting names. He really believed, again, part of his Derech Hapsak, his way of Paskin was you had to see everything, and the more you knew, you kind of, based on everything you knew, that's how you Paskin. So the more you knew, and he had these libraries in his head, and he just he didn't stop learning. So then he would basically Paskin based off that, which is, you know, in contrast, perhaps, to Ramosha Feinstein. If anyone ever opened a Tshuva for Ramosha Feinstein, he can quote a Gemara, a couple of Rishonim, he doesn't quote the Achronim. He didn't care. He didn't care for the Achronim. This is really the Derech Hapsak, the way they Paskin in Lithuania, and Lita, it kind of you believe use your own use your own skills, learn the Gemara, learn the Rishonim, what you emerge, what comes up, what you come up with, and that's the Psaq. Chavadi believed just the opposite. He didn't really care so much for the Gemara. He said he believed how did the Achronim interpret the Rishonim, interpreted the Gemara. He said if he was Dayenu for his uh, his ability as a Dayan, that he was someone he mockered, he found leniencies for thousands of Agunas during the Yom Kippur War. There were over a thousand Agunas he mockered. He, um, he, at one point, he was going for a, life, uh, a life-threatening surgery. He had a heart condition, he had to go for surgery, and he delayed the surgery a few hours. Because he said, there's a, a woman who's going to be an aguna, he knew a heter, he knew a leniency, he said, if I don't make it out of the surgery, who knows if this lady will ever get freed. And so he risked his life, essentially, to write a tshuva to free this woman before he went into surgery. Um, he, uh, Rabbi Reese, Rabbi, Rabbi Yonah Reese from the CRC, he writes in his, in his safe, and he also, I heard him say this as well, that he was involved in a very complicated case of an aguna trying to free a woman who, again, she was a chained woman, and he thought, he thought of a heter, and he actually he, he records the tshuva in the Kampi Yonah, his safer, but he said he didn't have the guts, as, as always, whenever you free an aguna, you need to have other dayanim sign on, because many times you're relying on certain leniencies, and also, if you're dealing with a very... It's a very precarious and dangerous area of halacha because let's say you have a leniency and you say this woman can go out and get married and everyone else disagrees with you and she goes and gets married and everyone says no that wasn't a good het there it wasn't a good uh, it wasn't a good leniency so they're going to view the get as illegitimate or the het there as illegitimate thus whoever she marries it's not a legitimate legitimate marriage to the children mom they're illegitimate so it's, a, the, it's the area of halacha where the, the stakes are the most high because again if people reject your leniency, they will believe that children will be mamzerim, and who knows what they know, the proliferation of mamzerim and klal who knows what that can be. So, the, the, the practice is that you have to get other dayanim, other uh, dayanim to sign on whenever you write a hetzer for Naguna. Rabbi Reitz, what did he say? It was mistakes from last week. Rabbi Reitz, thought of this hat there and he didn't know what to do because he couldn't, he couldn't, he, again he was, he was a little unsure about it, he said he went to sleep and he had a dream that night where Hamavad Yosef came to him and said send the tshuva to me, I'll sign on 
So he woke up and sent the truth to Rabbi Avadi Yosef and he signed on to it. Again, he, he records this in there. Again, he gets his power as a dayan. was very important. Dayanu, he says. He says, Dayanu is his ability to connect to Klal, connect to Klal Yisrael. Not just in the fact that his haskamas, he has approbations from across the board. And he was a Sephardi posik, but he has, Rabbi Yashiv was a good friend of his. Across the board, all sorts of Jews, all sorts of rabbis signed on. But again, he had this radio show where he, had, he just connected to all the, you know, the Hamonam, the, just, the regular Jew was listening to radio who called in. He had, the, uh, you know, we saw, as I said a minute ago, at the, 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 the secular Sephardi Jews connected to him. He said, Dayenu, that he restored the prestige of Sephardi Jewry. That he, that he, um, he essentially said that you know, we, we are, we're players. We're, we're players on the scene. I'm um, a second here. He was, um, you know, he did that as well with, um, he founded the Shas Party. Shas Party is a party in Israel. Again, whether you agree or disagree with the politics, the idea behind it was, he kind of said, Israel is founded by Ashken, you know, Ashkenazim, who, who, wrote, who wrote Israel in the vein of Ashkenaz history, and the Sephardim for many years were discriminated against until you know, Begin came along and utilized the Sephardi wave to come to power. And he basically said he's going to counter, counter this, both in halacha, culturally, and in establishment, using Shas, and using his power as, again, the unparalleled gone to restore the prestigious Sephardi jewelry. He, um, he had this dayenu for his integrity. There was a case in a, a he was on a bed, I don't know if it was in Beersheba, or it was in Rishon Letzion, or one of the bezins there, where he basically said that he gave a woman a get, and, other, and the other uh, bezins disagree with him, and he said to them, no, no, I'm right, and the guy said no, so he resigned. I said, I'm not going to be part of this bezin, I'm not lending my prestige to, to this bezin, because I think you're wrong, this woman deserves a get, and he resigned from the bezin. He said, Dayenu, that he unified Sephardi Psach, that the Ben Yishchai was always looked at, the Ben Yishchai from Baghdad was looked at as the Mishtabura for the Sephardim. And he, he restored he restored it, the unifying again also you have Sephardi Psak, as Rabbi Jackson mentioned, you have Moroccan Psak, you have Iranian, you have all these different and he brought it under one umbrella under under, under him. And this is again, this is Ramavad Yosef. And I think also it's worth mentioning that anytime you have a gadol, you have a great person, is behind him is often someone else. There's someone else who allowed him to come who became and one of them was his Rebbe of Isaac Atiyah. The story goes that Chavadi Yosef came from a very poor family. He was himself was very poor until the end of his life when he was fired and really started giving him a lot of money. You know, his first car, I believe, they bought him was a Grand Torino. Drive around in that. Well, they used to drive him around in that. You know, he grew up, he was very, very poor. He was so poor that his, his sons remember when they were in school, they you, know, you, you learn well, you get certain points, you get a prize. They would always ask for pens and paper, which they'd bring home to the father so he can write his chubas on. That's how poor they were. They, they recall him walking to, uh, walking to school, and he, it would be raining, and he'd get there, he'd have to take his socks off, he had holes in his shoes, and wring the socks out to get all the water out. He was, he was dirt poor, and he sacrificed a tremendous amount for, a tremendous amount for the ability to learn, and always learn. And again, he credited, credited his wife, he said, everything I have, obviously, because, because of her, because she allowed him to learn all the time. But also, his Rebbe of Isaac the story goes of Isaac he was recognize early on his genius and his and his ability and you can see actually he writes about because he's gonna be a leader in Kali Yisrael. And one day little Avadi Yosef didn't show up the class no, didn't, didn't show up the class. And he went looking for him and found him in his father's store, working at the counter. His father said, What can you do? I can't afford it. I can't afford to let him go. He needs to start working. And so Ravatiya, 
walked behind the counter, took the apron off of Chavad Yosef, put it on himself because I'm your new employee. We're not letting this prodigy, this future Gadol and Klagestra, waste away, waste the talents working in a store. At which point, Chavad Yosef's father realized what was going on here and said, okay, he can go off to learn. He can go, he can go learn. You know, someone also, he rejected the Arizal's influence on Allah. We talked about this as well with Gustav Marshall. That he, unlike other Sephardi Poskim, he didn't view the Arizal as paramount. He didn't think that whatever the Arizal said was fine. Only almost in the vein of the Chassam Sofer, who said mixing Kabbalah and Halacha is, uh, is an issue of Klayim, he too did not view the Arizal as anything other than another Achron. And again, another fascinating thing about him was Rabbi Pesach Frank, who was the chief rabbi of Yushalayim, he recognized early on, again, also his genius, and he realized Chavad Yosef didn't have any money. He let him join his kolel. In that kolel were some of the greatest Lithuanian gedolim to come. Rabbi Yashu was in that kolel. Rabbi who we discussed earlier this year, was in that kolel. Rabbi Shlomo Orbach spent time there. Rabbi spent time there. So he became very close to these great Gedolim, which also he picked up an Ashkenazi pronunciation, very little to speak. And he learned he had an Ashkenazi pronunciation, but he also allowed him to become very close to these Gedolim. Uh, this is a, pers- a personal story. I-, I think I mentioned this as well then. There was a Rebbe in Karambiyavna, Rav David Kaf. So Rav David said that once a week in Rehovo, Rav Jolti, the chief Rabbi Yerushalayim, used to come and give shir and tell over the so, the Psiske Dinim, the, 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 the uh, I guess the legal proceedings of the Bezdin, because who was on that Bezdin? Rav Jolti, Rav Yashiv, and Rav Chamavad Yosef. So again, he was just this unparalleled, he was an unparalleled genius. And just two more words about him before we get to our, our chuba for today. One is that they say, when he wore sunglasses. Let me show you a picture if he wore sunglasses. So, allegedly, so, I, mean, I read this to Sunset Over, there was a time in his life he thought he was going blind. And he, he, he davened and davened and davened, and his eyesight was restored. So for the rest of his life he wore the glasses to remind himself of the miracle that occurred. So he'd always be thankful every time he put his glasses on he remembered it. And number two was, in 2006, the prognosis was very bleak. He, again, he was going for some sort of heart surgery. And he sat by his bed with his gemara in his hand learning until the moment they put him under anesthesia. When he came out of it, again, they didn't know, did he come out, they were concerned. There was his mind intact, so his son quoted a random safer. And said to him, where's this from? So he told him exactly where it was from, because when did you see it? He goes, 63 years ago. Said, okay, fine, he's fine, he's good. And he, and he retained that memory till the very end. So again, there's so many chubas. Like he just he left us with volumes. He was the first thing I think about. It. He knew more Torah than probably anyone else in history. But again, he lived so late and had access to so much. And he, there are so many chubas that he, he wrote about that really are important. He was the first significant rabbi, if you will, in the modern day to deal with Ethiopian Jewry. Ethiopian Jews that came to Israel, are they Jewish, are they not Jewish? It's very contentious, and when he finally wrote his chuva, that became pretty much the defining shock. It became the defining shock, because you know, I've read a story where there was a boy who got engaged to an Ethiopian girl, and someone said to him, she's not Jewish. He went to Rav Shlomo Avinar, and he said, Chavad Yosef, she's Jewish, she's done. She's Jewish. He wrote about, again, Harabai, he wrote about so many, different, so many different things, but I thought one area which really, you can uh, really see a lot, of, not only of his halachic uh, proudness, but also what he was trying to accomplish, this Hoser Kesli Yashena, returning the crown to the form of glory, talking about Sephardi Jewry, was a tshuva he wrote, it's found both in Chavadash, but also in Yomer, I gave you just a small snippet, it's a very long tshuva, and that was as follows, this 
really also talks about the idea of kibbutz goliath as Jews, more and more Jews join together from all over the world. Now, I think we're jacked right to the safe, it's only a matter of time before every family, every Ashkenazi family is going to have a Sephardi somewhere married into it. Just, that's just that's the nature of it. There you go. And you have more and more yeshivas opening up in Sephardi with only yeshivas. So what happens, he says, when you have a Sephardi in an Ashkenazi yeshiva, an Ashkenazi dab and Nusach Ashkenaz, and the Sephardi wants to know, does he have to die like a yeshiva, and this a Hashkenaz, or can he retain his Sephardi practices? It's a, it's a common question. If someone moved to an Ashkenaz community, can they switch over to Ashkenaz? It's interesting, Rav Asher Weiss says he gets this question every other week. Every other week. When a Sephardi yeshiva, can I die keep my Ashkenaz? When an Ashkenaz yeshiva, can I get my Sephardi? This is a Chavadi at the Tuba, and I, I have it in front of you. We're not going to read the whole thing. We discusses this, and it's very interesting, because again, you're going to see how, you know, how he holds up Sephardi tradition. So let's look at the source. I'm going to put it here. It's not so clear. I'm sorry. Oh, the Shailas, the Dover Mashinaga, base a safer, Hatifon, the Dadi, the Afula. Fula is all the way up north. That is, um, I have a cousin who there, actually. Lispal, the Sidor, Shala, Achino, Ashkiraz, Machasidim, Shnikra, Dusso, Svar. So this, this, uh, this. The Sephardi was not only in the Ashkenazi Yeshiva, but in the Sephardi Yeshiva, the Chassir Yeshiva, the Davin and the, the Kostin Yeshiva of, of Afula. It's more than that. So Afula, a very poor community, it's a Sephardi community. Most of the students were actually Sephardi. It just happened to be the Hanhala, the, the leadership of the school, was Ashkenaz. They started the school, and therefore, they, when they set the school policy, they did it in Nusach Ashkenaz. Most of the students attending war, war davening, it was Mizrach, the davening in Sephardi. Again, there's Nusach Ashkenaz. Nusach Svard, which is not the Edo HaMizrach, it's not what Svard Davin, that's the Narizal, that is what the uh, Hasidim Davin, and then there's Edo HaMizrach, which is the Svardi, comes from the, the, the Mizrach, the Eastern Lands. Um, then he says, he says as follows, They continue Davin in Ashkenaz, that the Bnei Akiva and the Tal, they kind of took, and right, you can probably tell us more about this, there's like one unified Nusach they used in the army. I don't know who wrote that. She rabbin it? Do people actually follow it? No? People don't actually follow it. I figured they probably wouldn't follow it. It happens to be, it's against Rav Cook. Rav Cook writes in a letter somewhere that the mark of Kivit Goliath, that everyone coming together, is you're going to have not one unified Nusach, but so many different Nusachs, that everyone's going to be diving a different Nusach. When I was in Karen Biyavna, I got into a bit of a back and forth with uh, one of the uh, prominent Rosh Hashivas there because they made all the Ashkenazim daven in the Havar Sephardi, the, uh, the you know, Israeli. Now Saw became Ta and they, they, they didn't let you daven otherwise. And you ended up walking on saying, you know, Sakab uh, Shofar, Tlach Lanu, you know, it became a mockery because none of the, none of us Ashkenazim were able to actually do it. You're davening quickly, so you say Tlach Lanu instead of Tlach Lanu. And I asked, why does you have the one unified one yeshiva? I said to them, I thought, you're the, uh, the, the Tionim here, you, you, you let her cook, so doesn't her cook have the letter? Either way, then we got them to cha- change, and then apparently they, they changed back in recent years. But I remember, I had a, a, a Rebbe came up to me, from Shlomo Friedman, he's like, oh, I can finally down from the oven, I've been here for 40 years, and I've always been afraid of saying, Tlach Lanim. But uh, either way, so there's a, he goes, again, they want to prepare these Svarty boys to go to the army, where they have this, eight, or this, this unified Nusuk, which apparently they don't actually do, which I can imagine. Um, so basically, he wants to know, can they change? Um, can they change? 
So first he addresses the issue of minhum. This is but Hagos Maimani. Hagos Maimani is the, commenta- the commentary on Mishatorah. Mishatorah again is the Rambam, generally Sephardi Psak. The Hagos Maimani essentially wants to do what the Ramah did on the Shulchan Aruch by inserting the Ashkenazi German the French practices into the Rambam. So anyone who uses the Rambam for Psak Halacha and they're from the Ashkenaz land, they know what to do. So the first important thing is, even though sometimes we know what the actual halacha might, might be, do not change from the minug of your father. This minug is very important, which is actually we're coming full circle. Is if who remembers what we talked about with Rabbi Minug, minug about the halacha, the importance of minug, the importance of practice, which is very important for the goanim. So. He says, you saw, see also the Magen Avram, the Chag Yaakov, Vini Lefneinu Yushalmi, or Gozi Shal Kasev Lahon, Al Falpi Shakasev Lachem Sidra Modus, Al Tishanu Vini Kavaseinu Noaf Nashu, Pirush Bnei Moshe Shal Chnei Golosh, Al Vish Osi Odu Akim B'Tviya D'Richo. This is a question that every rabbi gets asked. We'll talk about it more. We know how to set the calendar. If we know the, the calendar, so why keep two days of Yom in the diaspora? We know exactly which day is Yom and the answer is, don't switch from the minute of our fathers. The minute is so important, we don't want to switch from the minute of fathers. It's just one answer. He brings more. And then he goes on. Sir, I should have highlighted this. He says, anyone who switches minute their, their hands on bottom, meaning they, it's on them to prove it. And then he says, as follows. So this is very important. The Rizal says as follows. And this is actually interesting. I'll tell you why this is interesting. Because who else had to justify the switch of Minhag, the switch of Nusach? The Hasidim. When they decided to go from Nusach Ashkenaz, they had to stay, the Nusach Svar, um, they also had to justify the practices. So he says as follows. The, the, the Sukkim at the end of Yechezkel, Describe the future base of Migdash and said there are going to be 12 gates. 12 gates. One gate for each of the Shvatim. However, in the Mishali Shkolem, it seems to mention a 13th gate. Gertzedek. So you see it's for Gertzedek. But the, um, so the, what you start seeing is perhaps this 13th gate is the Shar Hakola, where, well, each Shavit has their own gate they can go through, their own Nusach Hatzvila goes through it. There's one gate, almost at the master key, any Nusach can go through. Any Nusach can go through. And Chacham argues, based on others, that Nusach Eidah Mizrach, that's the 13th gate. That wherever you are, you could have Eidah Mizrach, because that's the 13th gate, and it opens up, it's the, it go, any, any Nusach goes through that door. And therefore, he argues that any Sephardi, any Ashkenaz can actually have Nusach Eidah Mizrach, the Sephardi Nusach, because you're essentially in the 13th gate, the Shara Kolel, and you're good to go. And there, that, he, that's his basic argument. So much so that he says that a, a, a Svardi therefore can't dive in Ashkenaz, because you're not, you're not Ashkenaz, but Ashkenaz can dive in Svardi because you have the Shara Kolel. Now, why is this very interesting? Because again, when Hasidus first started, you had some people at the Marshadam who says, any Nusach, there's no such thing as Nusach, anything you dive in, Hashem hears all our prayers, it's all good to go. But everyone else disagreed. And suddenly you find people, like Hasidim, like, you know why the uh, uh, Nusach Svard works? You see, because in Yechezkel, there are 12 gates. Each shape has its own gate. But there's a 13th gate. Nusach Svard is the 13th gate. So they use it just the exact opposite. And therefore they say, really, you shouldn't change your practice. We want to dive in Nusach Svard. That's your, that's your 13th gate. Anyone can dive in Nusach Svard. So you have these two. Chavadiyos who say, no, the 13th gate is Nusach, is Eidah Mizrach. 
The Hasidim are saying, no, it's Uzzel Svar. Really, everyone's kind of using it to justify their practice. But I think what emerges from there, why it's so important, is because we see Chavadios is utilizing this principle to tell you about the importance of not changing the minah, about the importance of Edom Israch, about the importance of your Svardi heritage. That you, again, you had Israel historically, if you look at it, they were discriminated against. They were kind of like they were second class. They, they, and then in the, in the religious realm, when they entered the Ashkenaz Yeshiva, they tried to assimilate them, come over to the more you know, supreme Ashkenaz practice, and Hanavad Yosef restored the crown to its former glory by saying, no, we have our own practices. We have what we be proud about. We have our own Nusach. Don't switch over. In fact, we'll have a little Schultz. We're even a little better. So that was Hanavad Yosef. Wish you all a wonderful week, and it was a really pleasure to learn with you. I'll be away the next two Sundays, and then...